Hey everyone, if you're a fan of Odd and Bizarre TV, you can join myself, Kevin, and my co-host Ethan as we host our new podcast, Primetime Oddities, available on Apple and Google Podcasts, coming to other podcast platforms very soon. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast, where this week we'll be discussing Episode 1, Second Contact, of the all-new animated comedy Star Trek Lower Decks. I am one of your hosts, of course, Kevin, and I am joined via Zoom once again by... The other host, Ethan. So, it's, it's hard to believe we're now into the third series the third trek series of the cbs hall access star trek family um so it's yeah i was thinking about that today never thought we would get to this point it yeah, only seemed like been... yesterday when there was only one show on the air so when there were no shows on the well, air when there were no shows on the air right overall how are you feeling about it well i enjoyed it I thought it was enjoyable. It was it was a lark. It was a trifle. It was a little lark, you know. It was like a fun little. It was a romp. It was a, it was a, yeah. It was a romp. It was a romp. A light romp. Yeah. You know the thing. So I definitely liked it, and I would definitely watch more. I, I wasn't. I didn't laugh a whole lot, really. I. You know, I chuckled. <laughs> right. Or I went, huh, that's clever. More than I laughed. You, okay. you liked, you liked it for way. what it, you liked it for what it was. In other words, like it was a very lightweight. It wasn't, I think we knew this going in, right? It's, it's very lightweight. It wasn't going to, I think we figured it wasn't going to tell some season long story arc. It wasn't going to be deep. It wasn't going to require deep analysis or anything like that. So. But I think there's a little more of that than I expected. Yeah. But, but it, uh, yeah, so I liked the level of the story and the characters. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it, that it, it didn't make me laugh, you know. Right off the bat to me, it did feel like I was watching something in the Next Generation era. Like it was a very faith, it was very faithful to the shows of that time. It didn't feel like it was too much of a, of a departure as far as the look went from from Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, from those shows. And, you know, it went as far as, like, using the TNG episode title fonts. It actually showed titles displayed on screen, right? The vessel kind of looks like the Enterprise-D. It has the same lines. It has the same sort of design. The saucer section looks similar. So clearly done by people who love the Next Generation. You know the yeah, the yeah. I think it's good that they have a new the California class ship. Yeah. So they don't have to stay too faithful. So they get to do kind of some crazy things with the design of the ship and what it can do and how it's set up. Yeah. And some of the other observations I could make when we were talking about the animated series, uh, the original animated series, which I'm wondering now we're gonna have to is that we're gonna have to kind of retroactively call that show. When we recorded when we recorded that one yesterday was uh, one of the things about the animated series that struck me was how they mimicked the Enterprise flybys 
on that show, right? And I noticed them doing something very similar on this show. So, like, specifically when the characters are walking down the corridors, it felt very much like the same scenes of the characters walking down the corridors on the live-action versions of that yeah. time. Yeah, the angles. The angles and whatnot. And camera. Yeah, and the sound effects were exactly the way they should be. Um, they had the uh, they had the Elcar computer system there perfectly uh, put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, even had Michael Lakuda, the graphic designer on Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager and Enterprise, as a consultant for them to ensure that they got that right. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I noticed it was interesting when you when Boimler went to the bridge. It looked real strange because we saw the bridge from an angle we've never seen that era bridge. But then the camera came at it from the front, and then I. It looked yeah. very familiar, so that was right. kind of interesting. Right. I, I think what I appreciate most about the show overall so far is the fact that, and I've been telling this to people who um, asked me what the show, how the show was, is that it's, I may have said this yesterday, it's not treating the Star Trek universe as a punchline. It's actually very faithful, it's very respectful to everything. One of the uh, ex- one of the co-creators of the show on the Ready Room, because they actually did bring the Ready Room back with Will Wheaton to discuss the show. I like the way he described the show in that there's another show going on simultaneously about the people on the bridge. We're just not watching it. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. I feel like we did see that show. We saw some of that show. I think know? I think so. we saw some of that show, but it's not the main focus, and I think it's. They kind of reverse it, right? So, like, on the original series, you had Kirk, Spock, and McCoy as the big three. Then you had Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov. They used to call as the, I think they called them the, uh, the small four or something like that. Right? Okay, yeah. Even though they weren't, the, even though they weren't the lower decks crew, but it's right. like they reversed it, right? So the secondary characters are now the main characters, and the main characters are now the secondary characters. Or it's more like the characters that didn't even get. That didn't even have lines in the original series. Are right. The folk show. This would right. be like the dude, you know, the dude's like standing by the door on the bridge when they come in. Yes. Yes. But or the actors that it changed that you know it's not Spock and it's not O'Hare, but it's somebody else around that outer rim of. Uh-huh. It's the it's the other side of the bridge that you don't yeah. normally get to see. Yeah. So and all that's happening. And what I like about that observation is that the show does actually kind of take advantage of that. So um, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here for. For a minute, but it's just strictly an observation. When the two of them are on the date in Ten Forward, and then the first officer like turns into a zombie, and all hell breaks loose, and everyone's like phasering them, the two of them like duck behind the table and just continue their date, letting everybody else handle it. Where like if that were one of the live action shows, you know that's where the action would shift, right? They'd be trying to take down the first officer, and they're just kind of the ones like, oh yeah, they'll take care of it, and they're just continuing with like they're taking no part in it whatsoever. Mm. Which I loved. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so I guess we're going to get straight into the heavy stuff. <clears throat> so, it was interesting that you said that Trek was not the punchline of it. Yeah. And that there was another show that's the main kind of story that we don't get to see, which I think we saw a lot more of than I expected. Yep. But also, not the punchline. I think somewhat it is. So, one of the things is the fact that the command, um, you know, like the, the upper officers... We're very broy, yeah, and almost like pompous asses. So I feel like that somewhat um, 
Not that it's using Trek as the punchline, but it is kind of making the command crew seem It's making the command crew, but I think it's more a case of doing that as a way of elevating the lower decks crew. Yeah. Right. Well, here's here's a question for you. So we are used to spending our time with some of the best of Starfleet. Yeah. Picard, Kirk. um, Pike. Pike. My man Pike. Not not Lorca. Um, well, not Mira Lorca anyway. Right, Janeway. Now, but here's the question. Cisco, just for you, DS9 are they, people. Are they? Yeah, Cisco, of course. Do you think that they are out of the ordinary? I do. Because, I do because, because these people yeah. are not in the same world as them. Because a few things. One. They really seem to, um, like I said, they're kind of broy. They're kind of pompous. Mm-hmm. They're very much out for their own glory and um, just getting a promotion. And they don't seem to care too much for their crew. I do because I I, I, I think so because even though the show focuses on the lower decks crew, the ship itself is you know, and you can say the lower decks crew is not that important, but the ship itself that they're on is also not important either, right? Like so. Within the environment of the ship, these this lower decks crew may not seem that important, but within the greatest, you know, environment of the Federation and Starfleet itself, the ship is not that important. I see. So this is not the best and the brightest, even even right. the captain. Right. And the, and the, exactly. Yeah, the because bridge. think about it. Like they're they're making second contact, right? Which means with these aliens. So what that means? What does that mean? Obviously, it's what it is. Another ship came along. It could have been the Enterprise, for all we know. Um, the Enterprise E, and they made contact with these aliens, and now we now need to go and get them set up and everything like that. Like, yeah, take care of the logistics. Yeah, like what happens? And I gotta say, like, even though these are questions throughout Trek lore that I've never really asked, <clears throat> the show makes me ask them. Right? So, yeah, yeah when you make first contact with somebody, what happens the next day? Right, because all we see is they fly off to the next. Adventure. Yeah, like, okay, now who has to come and sort of take care of this, right? Yeah. You know what it is? You're a Marvel person, right? There's that... Kind of. Well, there's that comic series about... Wasn't this going to be a show? The Cleanup Crew? Like, you've got to come and clean up all the mess that they make in the Avengers and, like, New York City, like, after these big battles. Yeah, damage control? Damage, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of... Is, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, and that was interesting because they incorporated that a little bit into the Spider-Man Homecoming because mm-hmm. they had that where um, uh, Vulture's company was kind of like doing that salvaging of what the mess was from the aliens and then yeah. the government agency of damage control came in to do it. And it right. was all backed by Tony Stark. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, the what happens after the big superhero battle? Well, this group comes in because you don't want that stuff to fall into the wrong hands or... Right. Yeah, so it's like the logistics you never considered and didn't know you wanted to hear about, mm-hmm. but it's actually kind of interesting. It's interesting. Like, it, I mean, granted, it's not something I really thought of because we're just used to seeing the hero ship every single week. But yeah, like after Kirk makes first contact with somebody, what's the next step when he's moved on somewhere to somewhere else to another mission? Who comes in? to act as liaison to Starfleet and the Federation and help them sort of get everything going. 
right? Yeah, and it, um, that, that was kind of funny because you know the way that they set it up is, um, you know, we have to um, essentially like you give them the Wi-Fi password or something, you know? It's like, yeah, totally. They had, to, and that's what they had to do. They had to set up communication. So, okay, you people can actually communicate with Starfleet, so we have to put that in for you. And uh-huh. we have to tell you, like, now that you're a member, like, here are your obligations, and here are the things uh-huh. you can't do. Right. Probably yeah, we, we we are basically they are basically the cable company, right? All right, we're got, we're coming over here to get you set up with your uh with your cable and your Wi-Fi and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, between Stardate X and Stardate Y will show up, so be ready. Don't yeah. leave. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. In 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 that respect, I think it's I think it's very very interesting. So. Yeah, so I can see that. So that explains somewhat why we have this bridge crew that's a little out there, a yeah. Pomp- um, but to kind of set the stage, so the show takes place aboard the um, USS. Cer- is it? I'm sorry. Is it Cerritos? Cerritos? So I think they pronounce it Cerritos. Cerritos. Okay. Um, and the first person we meet is Ensign Brad Balmer, who is uh, doing his fictional captain's log in the closet. Who is quickly interrupted by the other main character, Beckett Ensign Beckett Mariner. Um, and I don't, and, and at the moment, I don't know if the show focuses on either one of them or if they just sort of have an even level of focus. Um, I, I would have thought that it focused it on, that it focused on Brad, but it seems like because we find out later that the captain of the Saratos is actually Mariner's mother, that maybe she's kind of the focus, but, um, so we meet the two of them and then we also meet the, uh, Ensign, I may butcher this name, sorry, the, it all hasn't sunk in yet. Devana Tendi, who seems to be an Orion, which makes me very happy. And then uh, Ensign Sam Rutherford, who I love his little cyborg thing about him. Like the fact that they can like almost, he can almost like turn things on and off. Like it's some kind of emotion chip within data. Like suddenly like he just turns things on and like his, his emotions get completely uh, suppressed. Right, and it seems like that's a unintended effect of this piece of cybernetics that was made by Vulcans. Yeah, and yeah. He doesn't really want it to to do that. Right. Yeah. Which made for a fun little joke where he's, "Are you nervous about your date?" Well, no, I'm not because of this thing. And then she adjusts it. And she adjusts it. And, yeah, and he's and not he's nervous happy. anymore. Yeah. I mean, it works very much like the way Data has Data had his emotion chip in the uh, Next Generation movies, beginning with First Contact. He was able to kind of flip it on and off at will. I remember when they were going to fight the Borg in the hallways on the Enterprise, like he was getting really nervous and remember Picard's like, yeah, why don't you uh, deactivate your emotion chip for now? And he just, at the, you know, he just kind of, you know, jolts his head and he turns the whole thing off. So, and, and then it's like, he's totally area. fine. So, um, yeah, but I like, I like the, I like our cast of characters that we were introduced to on the, uh, in this episode. Me too. I think they have like a real, um, you know, they're a they're a group. They all have their different personalities and they're unique. Crew. Yeah. The way they interact seems like a group of um, friends. But what I like about it is like it's not it's not as if they're like a bunch of they're not like a bunch of rejects, right? Like Well what I mean is like, you know, Brad Bulmer, for example, like he's in this because he wants to become mm-hmm. a captain. He wants to move up in the ranks and yes. And I love how you have the contrast with um, Mariner. Right. 
And you think for you think because she's so cavalier that she's gonna like maybe be a threat to his career, but she's like, no, I'm actually gonna help you. I'm gonna take you under my wing because I've been there. Right, and and also she she has this. She wants to kind of um, show him like it's not what you think it is being right. in command, and that's kind of what why I that one thing that doesn't quite seem to fit because she's kind of saying like they you know it, the command crew are. She almost said like they're not good people. You know, you don't really want to be up there in that level because they're not really doing what they should be doing. Right. And it's interesting. She has the experience, so she was on a first contact ship before, and as revealed later, um, her mother is the captain, and her father is an admiral. Yeah. Um, so she definitely has much more experience with it and knows the reality of of it. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, she's um, she's a Starfleet officer in the opposite trajectory, right? She's making her way down in the ranks. But she's doing it on purpose. She's doing it on purpose, yeah. And she's taking almost like a Kirk-like approach where it is, I will break all the rules if it's the right thing to do. Right. And that's interesting, too, because she, she even says how... Starfleet is, um, it's just, it's all bureaucracy. Like, they're not actually going to help these people. Yep. What they actually need is help with their farming. So I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to help them do that because that's the right thing to do. And that's the kind of thing that you can do when you're not trying to advance your career constantly. Right. Right. So that is sort of a somewhat pessimistic view of Starfleet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she kind of unfolds over the uh, course of the series. I mean, I wonder if at some point she'll kind of, you know, maybe through taking him under her wing, will she eventually sort of find, will she find something redeeming about it and actually be like, you know, it's actually not that bad. Or I like you or something like that, right? Yeah, or if you do it your own way. Right. Right, like I, I could. When she describes it, she says, "You don't, you don't want to be on the bridge crew. They're always stressed out and yelling about directives." Right. I mean, I could, I could see maybe eventually Brad becoming a captain, and he decides to choose her as his first officer because you figure by that point all the stuff they'd been through together. Right. He may say, "I want you to serve alongside me." And... Right. And she could be the conscience. Right. So he, he he's the regulations and she's the conscience. And I think when she when she puts the bridge crew that way, right? I feel like that's kind of cause to say, well, if I was on the bridge crew, that's not how I would let it. That's not how I would want it to be. Right. And I think she's kind of. But I think her point right now is that when you're on the bridge crew, you can't. You don't really have an option. Yeah. You don't get. To do like it. if we had our own ship, we it'd be different. Right, if they were on the um, the Las Serena or whatever, they could do what yeah. they wanted. Right, they should be the Fenris Rangers. <laughs> we could see them on the show. That's we true. could probably see them at some point. Um, so, and I, it's just it's interesting to me. So, as I, as we mentioned, you know, I'm not going to kind of go over the the plot of the episode, but what I like about it is that you see something unfold that would that could happen on a live on one of the live action shows, 
but you kind of see it from the point you see it from their point of view and like again as i mentioned earlier like they're in the they're in the bar having a date and they don't really get involved in what's going on because they just kind of let the senior officers take care of it right mm-hmm. and but, then they do somewhat and they, you know it's just a good comedy that they continue their date right. throughout the right but and then to go on to your point about bureaucracy like when you know when they're down on the planet and brad gets attacked by that giant arachnid and then he's covered in that slime and it turns out like you know he's the one who ultimately saves the day but because he's like some low-ranking no-name ensign they don't care yes they don't give any credit yeah which also that struck me as like i don't like for my captain to be that shitty of a person right so I, I think what it's leading to is that the people on the ship, whether they treat him like shit the entire time he's there, are going to be the ones that basically influence him at some point in his career to be, to not be that a captain like that. Like he will not treat his crew that way. Like so, by the time he becomes a captain, if there's a similar situation in which a low-ranking ensign ends up saving the day. He'll make it a point to say, yeah, like, good job, Benson, or something like that. He'll at least acknowledge them. I can't imagine him ignoring it, right? I mean, granted, we've only seen one episode with him. But I think this is going to, I think what we're seeing are the beginnings of how, of what sort of captain he may turn out to be if we see him get that far. Hmm. Look at that. We didn't think, we, we said we probably were going to have much to analyze on this show. Yeah. Here we are. Um, so one of the lines that did, I think maybe the only line that maybe actually, like, guffaw, laugh out loud, yeah. was... um. When so the aliens were hilarious looking, by the way, pigs yeah. with one fang. They kind but... of almost looked like a little bit like the Care Bears. Okay. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. But they were pigs, the Care Pigs. So when um the spider has Boimler um and uh again remember the name Mariner. Yep. Asks the pig alien, which actually I wrote down the name of the aliens. They were the. Colardonians. Colardonians, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he says, oh, don't worry. She's just gumming on him to get to, like, suckle out the moisture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Something about the terminology used, gumming on him to suckle out the moisture. Yeah, and then she she just completely disarms her. She's like, oh, yeah, You're like, yep, just go to your happy place. Don't even worry about it. You're going to be fine. Yeah, and then another line right after that that made me laugh was, um, when she pulled him out and, and he said, oh, ow, my bones. And she said, you'll be okay. The doc will wave a light over it. <laughs> oh, I missed that one. I missed that line. Yeah, that was good. And that was a little bit, that was also, it's a little bit putting Star Trek in the, the punchline. A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, maybe, maybe, do, usually, maybe it's light over it, man. Everyone's it, fine. Maybe it pokes fun at sort of like some of the Trek cliches. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the part, the, the part that made me laugh out loud was a little bit earlier than that when when they uh, used their uniforms as a distraction and he's like, "Why is he eating? Why is he still eating my uniform? Like, how come he's not eating your uniform yet?" Right. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, I did also like the. It was interesting the 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 engineer. So, and you know how I always like to talk about Jordy's love life. Yeah. Well, look at the engineer. Um, I have his name down as... There was somebody, by the way, in the mess hall and 10 forward wearing a Geordie visor, if you didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah. I have a... It's the cybernetic. I have his name down as Cordero. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got that wrong, but um, he, I could see him being friends with Geordie 
because yep. he's so into the engineering aspect of it, and he's uh-huh. very bad with women. Because even though he ha- he pulled off a great date, yep. he couldn't recognize that it was time to move on to non-engineering activity. Yeah. So it was a very Jordy. Yeah, you've got this thing about Jordy's love life that I gotta say. I enjoy it. You bring it up. You bring it up a lot. It's relevant a lot. Yeah. I, I I guess. I mean, you make you you try to make it relevant at least. And I think I succeed. Yeah. Um. So uh, I would like to two things that I would like to talk about. Sure. I would like to talk about the opening. Mm-hmm. And. Since you are the one that has more of an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek, I would like to ask you about some things that I saw and sparked a little bit of um, memory or something to see yep. where they fit. So I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. That's okay. okay. I'll do my best. So we'll do the opening first. I'll show you my charts. I'll show you my Definitely. charts when you put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just look at it. Just look at it. You know, no, no, no. You, you can't do that. Anyway. Um, so I thought the opening was neat, and I think you, as a Titanic, um, in the, you know, enthusiast, must have found it interesting that they hit an iceberg. Yeah, I did. Oh, that was very funny. So it was but... neat that, you know, you see the ship, and, and the music, I think the music seemed to mix elements from a few different themes. Yeah, they, they, so the fact that they use a, you know, they kind of use a sweeping instrumental theme again, but they almost... I guess in some ways you could say made fun of it. They tried to make it sort of like a cliched epic sci-fi theme, which yeah, did, and your, to your point, evoke some of the other themes. Like when it actually began, the first few notes, like I, thought, I thought to myself, like, are we going to hear the next-gen theme? Oh, I see. I thought it was the original <laughs> series. It had yeah. those few notes, like the... Well, right, well, yeah, but they they did it in then such a way... Yeah. They did it more like the next generation style, and I was like, are they going to... I'm like, are we going to hear the next-gen theme? I'd be fine with that, but I just want to be sure. Yes, but I love the fact that they actually combined it with, like the openings of the old shows, of the ship flying through space, but you just see yeah. these really funny things happen. Like, the part that I actually laughed out loud at is when they nope the fuck out during the battle with the Romulans yes. and the Borg. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they get... And then also, you know, usually we get, we get the glory shots of the ship yeah. at the opening of the shows, and it starts off like that, but then they get sucked into this... <laughs> Um, who yeah. knows what, this belt right. of something. Right. Which is yeah. great. Yeah, and then when they just got the hell out of there for the Borg battle. They're traveling at warp, they've got that creature, you know, tra- stuck on the warp nacelle, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Hits an iceberg. Hits an iceberg, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought that was very fun. That was very fun. I, 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 it was probably too much to ask for, but I hope we get a Simpsons-type situation where they give us a variety to the opening each, each uh, episode. You know, they could have done something like they did in that short trek, the animated short trek, where you saw the Abraham Lincoln of the or Apollo's hand. Like that would have been funny if they had sort of right. Even just even just they zip past Abraham Lincoln and yeah, don't... yeah, yeah. But I I think with the show that I I feel like they're gonna try to stay more confined to the next generation type of um era. But yeah. even so, yeah. Although yeah. I would say that the the events of the episode felt more original series to me. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets bit by a bug on a planet and brings back a rage virus. That seemed more like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That was very 
original series. Well, it's like when it's yeah, it's when it's when Spock got high off those flowers. Right. Yeah. Or, or when it seems like it's always um, it's always Bones who, you know, gets a, like insane like a like a meth head. City, city on the edge of forever. Yeah. City when he, forever. he accidentally injected himself with his hyperspray and he was just like, ah, oh, killers, assassins. He really was like a meth head. It was excellent. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's just his own, that's just his own, you know, hypospray for, for crying out loud. You take too much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love the opening. I thought the opening was, was great. And I, and, you know, despite the fact that it is an animated comedy, it's, it, the theme was good. It wasn't like a humorous theme, right? Yeah, the theme was very good. And I also have to point out that, again, because this is an animated comedy, and this kind of goes back to me using them not using Trek, the, the Trek universe, at least too much as the punchline. The ship still looks like everything about it, like the visual look is not a joke. Like the ship still looks like you'd see it in the next generation. The interior looks like it would be next generation, right? They're very respectful of the source material. It's not like Ghostbusters, right? Where like the ghosts in the movie are like very cartoonish to reflect the, the genre of it. Right. Mm. So it wasn't like they made the ship look ridiculous. Right. Even when they have that, they sleep on bunks in the hallways. They look like bunks in the hallways that would exist on the enterprise. Exactly. Right. I mean, I would say the Ceratos, like there's a little, I would say there's a minor jokey look to it. It's not the best looking ship, but it at least looks like a ship that we would see. It looks like a kit bashed model that we would see on the next generation. Right. Like somebody just like, grabbed the Enterprise's saucer section from one of the other models that they didn't use, and they just sort of fastened some things together, and then, all right, here you go. And it's, okay, now we just put it in the background someplace. It had that kind of kit-bashed look to it that yeah, you would it's... see on one of the studio models in Next Gen. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it's it's definitely, it's definitely a Federation ship. You know? Yeah. It's a sweet ship. Yeah, and the uniforms, like all that stuff, like it's 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 obviously an advancement of the next generation. It's an evolution of the next generation era. So, yeah, I mean, again, despite the fact that the show is meant to be a comedy, it doesn't look like a joke. It still looks like it's part of the Trek universe, which I really appreciate. And that's, that's what I mean when I say they're being very respectful to the source material and the world with it, with which it is set in. So, yeah. And they're not breaking, like, the laws of the universe that much. No. As a matter of fact, even um, Mariner uses General Order 5 to, to be able to order around Boimler when they have the situation with the um, with the spider. Right. In an emergency situation, the, uh, what is it, like, the highest ranking person can order around the other people, I think, mm. some those generally. But again, you know, they do find those little pockets, those little areas that they can find humor in. I mean, I'm, when I watched The Ready Room, they showed a clip from next week, and I forget the exact line, but um, Brad's on the bridge, and he says, uh, she's like, I think she said, asks him, like, what evasive maneuver they should use, and he goes, like, he's like, evasive maneuver A88? Because they're always, like, you know, defensive pattern alpha, you yeah, know. And they all know exactly what they right. are. And he's just like, and he's just, like, making something up. <laughs> Because that's one of those things where I'm just like, okay, I don't know defensive alpha, defensive pattern Kirk Epsilon 
Okay, what the fuck does that mean, though? <laughs> Everybody right? springs into action. Exactly. Like, they all know what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. evasive maneuvers, you know, gamma sequence. I'm like, yeah. okay, what? So yeah, I, I, just... I think it's more about, like, finding those things that aren't really clear and then poking fun at it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the fact that on the second episode we've got already got Boimler on the bridge seems like... I don't know how much they're sticking to their lower decks theme. Or yeah. Thing. And I saw some Borg in the next episode, too. Well, he's on the bridge in this episode, too, don't forget. The captain's ready room, albeit, but still. Right, but he's yeah. just... Like you said, well, he gets called to the... When, um, well, uh, don't Andy forget. Says he gets called to the bridge. It's like, yeah, when someone spills something, they call him to the bridge. But here he was sitting in a... I forget who's... I think weapons or navigation or something. Well, don't forget. He said he's in the command training program, like Tilly is. So he's probably going to be getting some occasional training. But That's true. Tilly also would get along with this crew of people. Like this, right. the main the main group. Agreed. He would fit right in. Absolutely agreed, yeah. Um, all right. So I don't have time for you to put you on the spot. Sure. On a future. Okay, one. Was that a Kazinti doctor? No, it was not a Kazinti doctor, but you're close. I know. Um, that looks is... like a very short Kazinti. No, no, no. But so that doctor—that's what Mares was in the animated series. There's that cat character oh, yeah. in the anime. That's—it's the same species. And there is one that appears on the Federation Council, I believe, in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. So, uh, no. But you were you you were not far off. She yeah, they're like a, she looked she did look like another feline humanoid. She looked like Chester Cheetah though, I will say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cheetah mixed with the Kazinti. Right. Yeah, totally. But I guess actually they said their women are are not um, intelligent, so mm. she couldn't. Be a doctor. Yeah. So no, you were close, but. I assume the women are not intelligent because they probably don't educate them. But again, there's that attention to detail that we don't we the first time we see that species is on the animated series, and given that this is an animated series. Yeah. You can make feline humanoids. Right exactly. Now. Yeah. All right. So when Tendi first shows up, we have that. There's someone in the background with the, looks like a harmonica holder, like the guy yes. in um, yes. Next Generation, where yes. it, it, cause he yep. can't speak. His, his vocal cords don't produce things we can hear. Yes, that was a Benzite who we have seen on Next Generation before, uh, and even Deep Space Nine. All yep. right. Um, first introduced, I believe, on Next Gen in the episode Coming of Age. So, okay. Yeah. I, I definitely remember it from, like, early Next Gen. Yeah. Yeah, the character of Mordok, who um, we saw in Next Generation a couple times. Yeah. That was a yeah. Benzite. Um, okay, so, at a point, it's, I think it's um, Tendi looks out of the window and sees, like, the, the cells... Yep. And looks like backward of the ship, and we hear a theme, mm-hmm. musical theme that I know from lots of Star Trek. I think the films did maybe. not ca- did not catch that. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm gonna find out for next episode because it was used a couple of other places throughout, and I think it's a direct lift from some existing music. Lift from yeah. some theme that I think was used in the films, the original cast films at least. Yeah. And you know, it's great it's always great to when you have iconic music like that that people will know and it's in their bones right. that you can just drop it in and get a little bit of a um, you know Good pun. Uh, it's in their nostalgia. bones. It's in their bones. And that's all she left me with. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I I'd have to listen again 
but um, yeah, I, I, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a case of you remember my frustration when we were doing Picard that the Voyager theme was there when Seven of Nine left the ship, and I was like, I'm, I'm like, I just don't hear it. I just do not hear it. Yeah, no, that was, it was that was very upsetting. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, okay. What about the like Anatech Center on Orion? Was that anything we've known before? Well, it's establishing yeah. that now that the Orions actually have a like the Orion homeworld. So. Yeah, and yeah. that there's a. They have a culture beyond sex slavery. Yep. Yeah. Because that's all we've really seen them as. So. Yep. Um, the joke when, when um, Boimler was showing the map and he kept saying like, "This is ops, and this is ops, and then that's yep. ops over there." They have a cetacean ops. Yeah. Did it seem like that was a fair joke? Is there like a lot of ops? I. I mean, I can think of. <sighs> There's operations on Voyager where Kim is the chief operations officer, but then you also have ops on Deep Space Nine, which is their bridge. But mm. I never looked at it as like there was, as like there being like an overabundance of ops. Yeah. Okay. So I was yeah. wondering if that was based on something that you know maybe you would have heard. Yeah. 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 No, I, I I didn't. Um. That's a joke that didn't really land for me because I didn't I didn't see it as like a you know as a cliched Trek thing to make fun of. So. Got it. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. And then obviously at the end when um, Mariner says that she's going to be a mentor to Boimler. She says, I'm going to tell you about everything. Do you know about Spock? He died. And he, yeah. like, chased space whales. And <laughs> Gary Mitchell. Yeah. She, she, she went on, like, a, a tirade of just, like, name-dropping things left and right. So Yeah, and, yeah. you know, that, that might seem like a lazy thing, but I thought it was pretty funny. And like, Sulu, he was into swords. That could well, be your thing. We need a sword guy. Like, they, even do was, it, yeah. they even do it in the beginning. When she's swinging the batleth at him, he's saying, like, Worf, Worf, Worf. Yeah. Yeah, and when I saw the trailer, the preview of that a few weeks ago, I could there was no closed captioning, and I'm like, is he saying Worf? What is he saying? And then when I, so when that scene came up, I'm like, oh, let me turn the subtitles on to see, and that's exactly what he was saying. He was saying Worf right. for some reason. And yeah. Worf is like a contemporary of them. Yeah, exactly. And it was also great when she says, "Do you know about Deanna Troy? She looked banging in her jumpsuit." That was a good line. Yeah. Well, the space wells too. Like so. Is interesting because obviously it's a it's a nod to the voyage home, but also you have cetacean ops, right? Okay. And here's another interesting point, and this is an intentional joke. The so you know how like every Trek show has their own abbreviation. You know you have TNG, DS9. We don't say it up, but Voyager is V O Y, Enterprise is E N T. Lower decks is L D S. Right. There's your voyage home nod. They could do a little too much L D S. Yeah. Or the Church of Latter-day Saints is known as the LDS, the Mormons. Yeah, well, you know, you and I love the Voyage Home, and I feel like that doesn't get much mention throughout the franchise. In fact, I can't really think of any time that it really did, now that I think about it, so. But, um, you know, aside from that, there was like a, there was just a, a, you know, tons of little Easter eggs, I mean, um... Like I mentioned, you know, somebody, two people were actually wearing visors on the show. You see an Andorian, you see a Benzite, you see a Bolian. Um, you know, they have the old phasers and they have the old tricorders. There was a Vulcan 
who when he got the black slime on his beard looked like it was Spock's beard in the mirror universe. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and obviously she goes through all those names. Khan, the Genesis device, Space Whale, Sulu rocking a sword, which is direct nod to the Naked Now, asks about Kirk, Worf, Gary Mitchell, Deanna. And then even like in the season preview, I mean, you see a space jellyfish, which could be related to the one we see at Encounter at Farpoint. Um... Klingon disruptors seem to be for sale at some like desert bazaar that they go to. Uh, they might have to fly through the neutral zone to get to into Romulan space. Like all of these things, so it, it's definitely there's enough there. There's enough like fan service oh, there yeah. to make it very enjoyable. Um, well, so another one that popped into my head. So she said to have like she what she got is she got attacked by a crystal. Did we ever encounter any crystalline life forms? The crystalline entity. Okay. Um, she said she was in a uh, Klingon prison and had to fight a Yeti for her shoes. Aurora Penthe, Star Trek VI, Kirk fights a Yeti-like monster. Oh, yes. Yes. Who actually, oh, weirdly enough, looks, looks like a Jem'Hadar. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, oh, that's right. That was another line that I laughed out loud, but she said, like, I had to fight him for my shoes. He didn't even want my shoes. He was just being an asshole or a yeah. jerk or something. That was, that was another one that got me. But, you know, and then they had the small things. Like, they had the, they had the TN, they had the the TNG sound effects lifted directly from the show, and that, that was great to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and as I mentioned earlier, I love the fact that the episodes actually have on-screen titles, and it's done in the same font and the same color font as they do on The Next Generation. So, um, it's a show very, very much connected to Next Generation. You know, they want to connect Discovery and Strange New Worlds, obviously, to the original series. But um, this is, yeah, this is Next Generation's time. And it takes place in the year 2380, which is, I believe, the year after Nemesis. So, like, Picard's out there still in the Enterprise. Riker just takes command of the Titan. And that's what, and so, and that's what I mean when you say you could bring those characters on. Right? I mean, they're in the CBS Trek family right now. All you need are their voices. Yeah. So, yeah. And we were saying yeah, yesterday a... that if they went to DS9, Quarks would be the perfect place for them to go. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but bring them in, make it funny. Oh, yeah. Well, well, the thing is, like, even if you bring in Riker and Troy, they're probably not going to be talking to them. Yes, they're just going to be on the ship for some reason. Assuming Riker and Troy even talk to that ship at all. Right. right, and maybe um, maybe Boimler like wants to impress them or something. Right. Yeah, I I am a bigger fan of them like going to Deep Space Nine and like playing Dabo at Quark's bar and getting into trouble or something like that, right? And having like yeah. Odo arrest having Odo arrest them. I mean, despite the fact that unfortunately Rene Abergenois has passed away, but like if Odo is back on DS Nine somehow after the final episode, right? So yeah, we can rent a hollow suite. I would actually say that this show. I mean, it's not about the cameos for me, despite the fact that they can disguise the, the limit. I think we have the best chance of seeing that on this show, just because of the ease of it, right? If they were to go on Deep Space Nine and Picard, you know, think you have to build those sets. You got to get the actors in uniforms. Again, you just draw it and get their vo- and get the voice in, right? Yep. So I think like. If they decide to leverage any characters from Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, or even, not only that, like, they could even do holographic recreations of the original series, Discovery, uh, Enterprise, right? You can get all those actors in and just, yeah. Here's what I would like to see, and I think it would make a lot of sense if Mm. um, 
they had if the engineers had to do some kind of training with Jordy. Yeah. I think that would make a lot of sense. Right. I think it would. Um, I was thinking, but I can't imagine them doing this, and it wouldn't happen for a while, but actually showing the destruction of Romulus as they do in Picard, but I just feel like that'd be too heavy. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, and that wouldn't be happening for a while anyway, so... Um, but it would be funny to like see Picard on the Enterprise and being like all uppity toward them. In some ways, like, not to say that I don't, I can't imagine him doing that, but it would be kind of funny just as a way of him to sort of like showing how unimportant they are. Yeah. 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 Maybe you can tell one of them to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, Wesley. Like, yeah, just like he said, shut up, Wesley. Say it to them. Shut up, Boimler. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but overall, uh, I, I'm I'm very happy. I I thought the show was a lot of fun, and like I'm again, I'm down for the ride, man. I think it's good. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, and you know, even if I'm not cracking up over the comedy, it's like it's fun. The stories are fun. Yeah, um, it's going to be nice to watch. And I think and I think the show, in some ways, if you think of it like this, it's kind of it's almost pandemic proof. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. That was a weird phrase, but like... It took me a while to get... Yeah. <laughs> it's COVID-19 proof in some ways. Yeah, you can produce it. Through, I don't know if the music... Through a pandemic or a nuclear war, you could keep it going. <laughs> I don't know I don't know if the, if the music situation is the same as it was in Discovery, but... Yeah, I mean... Right now, this is the only Trek show... I mean, Prodigy, I guess, as well, right? But... The animated truck shows are the only ones that we could probably count on for however long this pandemic continues. They could definitely do them during the during the pandemic for, her, for however long this goes on for. So we can at least count on having two truck shows during this time. Because this is, as I should have said in the beginning, this is the first of 23 straight weeks of Trek. Mm-hmm. Which is unfucking real Yep. So when we're done with this, I'm gonna, we're gonna know who the next president is. Yep. We're gonna. Well, we'll know. We'll know before that. I know, but yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be deep into the school year by that point. This is a long stretch. Half a year. Yeah. Roughly. It's funny. Quick side story for the listeners. So, um, before they announced the release date of season three of Discovery. We were we were both on the phone talking about how we want to handle our podcast because we now do three podcasts, right? We do this one, we do our Twilight Zone podcast, and we do another one called Primetime Oddities. Plug plug. And we reached a point where we were doing. It seemed like we were doing a podcast constantly, right? And I um I said to you, look, when we finish the Twilight Zone I think I said when we finish the Twilight Zone podcast or something like that or no I said when Lower Decks comes on I said after we're done with the 10 episodes of Lower Decks I need a break I need like a few I need to take a few weeks off and you were like yeah you know we can cover the Twilight Zone podcast if you want like me you know my wife Julie and I can take care of that if you have and I said that's cool right and the primetime audience one is just one that we do for fun right that's technically one we could say we do during a hiatus of everything 
right? That's our that's our more fun podcast, which isn't to say this is not fun. Th- those can just come whenever they want. So, and you were like, yeah, that's cool. We'll, we'll you know, we'll do that. And then, like, you know, understandable. Like, if it's not fun for you, you know, obviously, uh, take a break or whatnot. So I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks for understanding. And so, what was it? Like, two, in like two days after that, I think, it was like two days later, they announce Discovery is back. Discovery comes back October 15th. And you know what that means? 23 straight weeks of Trek. I'm just like, oh my fucking God. Like, awesome, but oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, and we had discussed the possibility of like, with Lower Decks being 30 minutes, do we want to do two episodes per podcast or something like that? But, you know what? I'm just going to have to strap myself in for the next 23 weeks. All the more reason. So, 23 weeks, so in 23 weeks, 24 really, because we're probably going to do a season wrap-up for Discovery, right? That's when I'm taking a friggin' break. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's so. interesting. We're gonna add. We're gonna like increase our number of podcasts by fifty percent when we're done with all these. Well, we know probably next season of whatever's after Discovery, maybe Picard or Strange New Worlds. That'll probably bring us up to a hundred. Um, I don't know. I, I I have a feeling that it could even be Prodigy, but there's no indication of that yet. And there's no indication we're going to do much for Prodigy. We don't know. We don't really know anything about it outside yeah. of the premise. So, right. um, you know, let's let's not let's not treat Prodigy like it's some lower decks crew now. Yeah, I don't know. I'll give it a chance, but I don't think it's for us. Well, we won't know that until we see it. Yeah. So, cool. Um, all right. So I have a, to the listeners. Right, we want your support. Rate us or give us a review. Yeah, that's fine. But tell tell a friend. You know. Tweet it. Let somebody know. If you're talking about Star Trek with someone, say, hey, you know what? You should listen to this podcast. That's our request to you. Spread the word. Yeah, because we've been doing this for almost three years now. So, but... uh, Hundreds of thousands of downloads. Happy customers. But uh, we're going to be back um, next Thursday. I think what we're going to do, we used to do the live action shows like a few days after I think we're gonna because the new show is fairly low maintenance in that sense I think uh, we're gonna be able to put these out the same day as the episode so yeah yeah. so with that said we'll be back next week to discuss the second episode of Lower Decks or LDS uh, with the second episode which is entitled Envoys thanks for listening and we'll see you next week next thursday peace out